So uh, our guest today is Tavis Piatoli, and he has worn many, many hats, you know, and I think some things you might, our listeners might find impressive are, you know, he was the sports dietitian for the New Orleans Saints, the New Orleans Pelicans. He's worked with college athletes at Tulane and elsewhere. Um, But I really got to know Tavis through the Taylor Hooten Foundation, which is an amazing organization um, that provides education around um, steroids and supplements for youth athletes. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm I'm excited to flip the script here because Tavis interviewed me for the Taylor Hooten uh, All Me podcast, uh, which is the first time I got to know him. And and we've kind of worked in conjunction with each other a few other times. But he also is the co-founder and director of uh, My Sports Dietitian, and we'll put the link up uh, for the for our uh, viewers um, here at the end, and uh, we'll also put the link in the comments, um, and we'll we'll read it out as well for our audio podcast listeners here at the end, um, as well as the Eat to Win Nutrition app, and we want to talk a little bit about that as well, um, you know, in the course of our conversation, but you know, we're just going to keep it. Uh, very loose and we'll, we'll see where things go and kind of, you know, the way I wanted to start with you, Tavis was obviously you find this topic to be uh, important and you're passionate about it. And um, you know, I'm sure you're, you're met with some resistance. And so when you work with youth athletes, adolescent athletes, high school athletes, how do you go about convincing them about the importance of nutrition and how much of an impact does it really play? Because kids care about winning and performance and outcomes. And so, so w- what's your hook? Yeah, no, it's, that's a, that's a phenomenal question because it's my favorite population to work with because you have so many different habits and behaviors you can really change. And really the key is I, I call nutrition. It's the meat missing link or the secret weapon. It's the piece of the performance puzzle. Cause as we know, performance has so many different components to it. Obviously the strength and conditioning, the mental component. You have genetics, you have sleep. I mean, so many different factors. But nutrition is the piece of the puzzle most young kids don't even think about until they realize, oh, wow, I have to invest in my diet. And to me, it's like it's the piece that really connects everything together. But to get buy-in, is it's, it's really tough because they're not thinking about it. They We did some surveys and working with athletic trainers and working with individuals. We actually asked 500 kids, give your diet a grade, A, B, C, D, or F. 86% said B or higher. We're like, wow, wow, we're either surveying some really good eating, eating kids or kids that just don't really understand what good nutrition is. And then we went back and asked them some questions. You know, how many fruits and vegetables? How often do you eat? Different things about their diet, a quality, a qualitative assessment. If we had to grade it, we probably would have given them a low D or a high F. So that made us realize the perception is I'm, I think I'm doing well, but in reality, I'm really not. So for me, because parents call me and say, hey, my son or daughter, we really need, you know, they need nutrition help, but they don't want to hear it from me. And I have a 10-year-old daughter and she even says, daddy, I hate your job. And it makes it sound like <laughs> I'm some kind of like food police, which is not the case, right? But for me, it's it's using my background, you know, working with the professional teams and the professional athletes. I still have really good, great professional athlete clients that I work with that Using those names sometimes can help, although to me, it doesn't really make a difference who I work with. I, I prefer to work with a high school athlete versus a elite pro because there's so much room for improvement. So using my background, saying kind of like where I've been, my history really gets them to kind of go, oh, wow, you know, you've helped this person 
kind of get to this level by making a few changes. Maybe this stuff really does work. Um, and it really, we, we try to focus on when we're working with teams, high school teams, we tell someone, hey, give us your most motivated kids. We want the kids that are going to be the influencers for the others, the ones that once they get results, you know, in the weight room, on the field, and they're saying, hey, I just, I brought food to school. I changed my diet. I did things that I, I was eating. I'm eating breakfast now and I, was, I wasn't eating before. Mm. And it results into massive changes. The question is no longer what are you taking? Because everybody thinks they need to take something to right. change their body when there's not very many, if any, supplements that are going to do much of that very quickly. It's, it's the game changer when it comes to getting kids to buy in as other kids are doing it, but also showing them this is what athletes are investing in. Colleges now are spending millions of dollars on nutrition because they realize, great, we have strength coaches, we have athletic trainers, very critical piece of the puzzle. But if the kids are poorly fueled, doesn't matter. It, it, their engines won't run very well. Yeah, you know, the buy-in part is so spot on. I mean, I, I am called the food police in my house and I, and I have done my best. I grew up with a father who was very invested in nutrition and I know what's right. They know what's right. And they still continually will make like poor choices. So that buy-in piece is, is really big. And I see like when they have a coach who's invested in nutrition or someone like if they were to hear your talk and they might buy in and then it lasts like a little bit of time, right? It's like, hey, for a week, they're going to eat healthy. So my question, Tavis, and I don't know if this is the right way to go about it, but I've often found myself trying to get them the healthy foods, but like decorating it with bad stuff. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, they're getting the salad, but I'll give you a lot of ranch on it. Or, you know, they're getting the fruit, but I'll put it on a waffle with some syrup. Like, is that a good approach or a bad approach? Yeah, no, it's, it's, that's not a bad approach by any means, because there's too much going on around demonizing food. Um, you know, there's too many programs out there that, you know, label food as like, let's say carbs. Everybody wants to do like the adults. Let's jump on the keto, keto bandwagon or do this or that. Mm -hmm. You know, and we got, we got to stop doing that. That's not going to solve a problem. That's not going to fix, you know, a lot of the things. With a young kid, it's just really being a positive influence with what you're eating. Number one is a big factor, mm -hmm. but also looking at it as balance. I don't like to label things good or bad because that creates an unhealthy relationship with food. Um mm -hmm. So it's, it's really about, hey, how do we incorporate balance? If they want ice cream, sure, we fit ice cream in there. If they want a little bit of cookies, we fit that in there. It doesn't have to be looked at as bad. But if, if fast food is five or six days a week, then we probably say, let's cut that down to two or three so we can incorporate more balance and increase the quality of the diet. So give, give us some ideas then, Tavs. I, I, lo I love that. Um, certainly sounds more manageable to the balance and the moderation, right? But give us some some ideas, some tips um, on what an athlete in general, we'll get into, into some specifics later, but what should an athlete, a young athlete, be ingesting on a reg regular basis? And what should they try to stay away from? Again, knowing balance and moderation is key here. Yeah. Well, the first thing we try to do is we try to change patterns and timing first. 40% of young athletes don't eat breakfast, right? And I'd say 70% of the kids I've, I've worked with try to gain weight and build muscle. So skipping a meal, especially breakfast, is going to prevent them from, from reaching any goal. That's that's the one thing I try to tell them is if you're skipping the first meal, that's going to negatively impact what you're trying to accomplish. From a quality standpoint, you know, it's 
it's not like there's magic foods. There's no superfoods and all these labels we put on things like there's no food that's going to increase performance and there's no food that's going to decrease. But if we take the look at the entire compass diet, 85 percent of what we're putting in our body should be pretty balanced, lean protein. So, you know, whether that whether you're an animal based person or a vegetarian, we can get good quality protein from both sources. So whether that's chicken, fish, turkey, lean beef, eggs, protein powder, good lean quality protein sources. I call them state championship protein. Then we have the state championship carbs, the thing that's going to fuel our body really well. That's your fruits. That's sweet potatoes, rice, pasta. But it's looked at as bad, right? It's looked at as, oh, if I eat that, that's bad. But you're talking about some young athletes that are burning four. Some kids are burning 4,500, 5,000 calories a day. They need high quality carbohydrates for their engines to run. Without carbs, they're not going to do any type of high anaerobic, high power, high energy type workout. They're going to Every study shows their body's going to break down. So those quality carbs are really important. And then high quality fats. We need high quality fats as well because that helps our body absorb fat soluble vitamins like vitamin D, which most of our world is deficient in. But, you know, the olive oils, the nuts, the nut butters, the avocados, those are healthy, good fats that our body could utilize as fuel. But for those that need a lot of calories, that's a great way to increase calorie volume without increase caloric intake without increasing a lot of volume of food. So mm. it's just a balanced approach. And then the other 15% of the time, throw the cookies in there, throw a little fast food. I mean, it's just about looking at what someone does and how do you make it a little bit better by, you know, changing the quality. Are, are there like good, I know you hear like uh, whole grains or brown rice pasta or brown rice. So if your kid isn't into those kinds of foods, like is, do you get anything from the white and rich pastas and the white rice. So you, you shouldn't be giving yourself a pat on the back if you're at least getting those in. That's not really helping. The only difference is a couple of grams of fiber. And honestly, when, when you combine a meal with protein, let's say chicken, rice, and vegetables, whether or not it's white or brown really has no relevance at all. Because they did studies on that. I mean, most people don't sit down and eat a bowl of white rice by itself or even a bowl <laughs> of brown rice, right? I mean, right. Maybe some people do, but that's where this whole insulin blood sugar fluctuation, you know, hype and, and stuff that's going around saying, oh, insulin, this and that. You know, again, there's there's a lot of bad studies on that. There's a lot of good studies that show, yeah, we need to be concerned about how much we're eating if we're inactive. If you sit all day, you don't need as many carbs as somebody who is training for two or three hours. And adults like us that might sit behind a computer for eight or, or nine hours, we don't need the amount of rice, pasta and bread that a 14 to 18 year old kid who is burning a ton of energy need. So it's almost like your car's parked in the driveway. You don't need to fill it up. If you're driving three or four or five hours a day, you need to put gas in it. So yeah, I mean, the whole rice thing, there's, there's not really a big difference. The calories are still the same. And at the end of the day, the calories in and calories out is the formula that's going to lead to whatever outcome you want to change. If you're trying to lose weight, we have to be in a deficit. And at the most important thing is protein and calories. If you're trying to gain weight, we have to be in a surplus. Um, in order to see that body weight change. And there's little things we need to do in between there when it comes to balancing carbs, proteins, and fats that can keep you full longer and give you more steady energy. And that's why I tell everybody, you know, good quality carbs, the fruits, the vegetables, the high, a little bit of a higher fiber with good protein and healthy fats, you have blood, better blood sugar stability, more steady energy. If you wake up in the morning and let's say you have a donut, blood sugar's up and down, you're probably going to be hungry in an hour. Um, versus if you have, let's say a bagel with 
egg and cheese on it, you're going to be more steady. Got it. Okay. So I, I, I like that. I, I like the, some of those specifics you, you were just offering. So let's kind of go that route. Let's go with some more specifics. So let's say it's game day. This, this is always one that I find uh, is interesting. Everybody's different in terms of what their preferences are. When I worked in the NFL, I mean, people are eating spaghetti and meatballs for breakfast. Some people are eating an omelet. Some people are eating pancakes. And so, so what are your suggestions in terms of uh, foods on game day? And then what about timing of eating prior to a competition? Yeah, well, there's a couple of do's and don'ts for game day. I give all my athletes like what's called the pregame meal halftime nutrition kind of guide to say, hey, avoid this stuff. And some of the stuff we have to, some of the things we have to avoid are really considered really well balanced. You don't want a lot of, you know, high fiber rich foods, gas forming vegetables that are just going to cause a lot of stomach distress. The broccoli, the, you know, the onions, the, the cauliflower, the red beans, although those are good, nutritious, rich foods, you don't want those three, four, five hours before an event. That's going to probably cause some stomach discomfort and an athlete's not going to feel comfortable. Also, you don't want a lot of fat. So you don't want fried foods, fast food, anywhere near 15 you know, to 24 hours, 16 to 24 hours before, uh, before competition, because it's going to sit in the gut. It's going to make you feel so sluggish and heavy because it takes a long time to digest. So, so that's I, dinner before, the night before, is when you're saying you, you, make, you cut these. Yeah, so if you have a game the next day, I mean, okay. unless it's like a night game, that's okay. But still, I wouldn't... Okay. I wouldn't do a big fast food meal. If you have a game that morning, I wouldn't do anything like that 24 hours before just because okay. there's going to be a lot of inflammation in the body uh, because of the, the food's poor quality, number one, but it's also typically a lot of fat and a lot of calories. Um, the things that are a little bit easier, just faster digested things. So pasta is fine, but depending on the individual, I wouldn't cover it in Alfredo sauce. I'd have it with a lean source of protein, probably just a light salad with it or some fruit to get some extra carbohydrates because you want carbs pregame. That's going to, to kind of increase that storage. One of the problems I see, let's say high school football, kids eat a, their games at seven, pregame's at three, and they're not doing anything else until 10 o'clock that night. So second half performance is usually mm -hmm. impaired because they're out of gas after the first quarter for the most part, and they're just rehydrating as much as they possibly can. So there are things we've done at halftime of football games, whether it's really fast carbs. It might even be Rice Krispie treats. It might, And it really just depends. People go, what's the best thing? I mean, it depends on the individual. Everybody's different on what works for them and what their body can digest and handle. So there's really no best food and there's no worst food. It's like, let's see what works for that individual athlete to help them metabolize that food. Are, are oranges like, you know, that, that's sort of been a typical halftime. Is that a, a could be a good thing or... It could be if someone has trouble digesting, you know, high acidity based foods, that might not be a good thing for that individual. You know, same thing with bananas or any other foods. I, you know, some people, you know, they defy everything that goes against the science. And, and that's one thing with with this practice is sometimes science doesn't make sense when it comes to just reality. You know, what you do in a lab cannot be replicated on the field, rarely ever, unless you're a runner, because you, most of the studies on performance look at treadmill performance. Right. And you know, for a football player, baseball player, volleyball player, that doesn't translate to what they do on a court or a field or a match. Um, you know, we see that in a lot of sports. We just have to look at, hey, what's worked for you in the past? Let's try a few of these things and let's see how your body feels and reacts to it. Obviously, we never do anything new the day of a game or a match just because you don't know what's going to happen. So we try to stick right. to some things that 
they felt comfortable with in the past. So, you know, many of our listeners have kids who, you know, they'll go to a tournament, whether it's volleyball or baseball or soccer, uh, tennis, golf, and their athletes are competing early in the morning. You know, let's say eight o'clock game, nine o'clock game. Um, I understand, you know, it's individualized and it's in some ways trial and error to see what works and what doesn't work. But what would you be your, your starting point in terms of what time should they eat and, and how much in general should they eat prior to a game? Yeah. And the, the, the first, uh, doc, the, the volume is going to depend on that individual and their history. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they say, Hey, my match is a tennis match at nine, you know, we all, I watched Wimbledon yesterday and it's like, mm-hmm. that starts a little later, right? It's like a two o'clock England time here. It's like seven o'clock, but let's say you have a nine o'clock match. Well, Typically, I'd like them to get something in their system at least two hours before, depending okay. on what they tolerate. If, if the parent and the athlete say, look, I have a history of just my nerves are, are really shot. I'm, I'm anxious. Um, I, you know, throw up everything before a match. Then maybe we try a smoothie. Maybe we say, look, maybe can you make something liquid? Have you tried that? I try to get them. I try to ask questions to see what they haven't tried before to see, will this work? Well, just a plain bagel, like a half a bagel with honey work. That way it's not too heavy. It's quickly digested. You get some carbs in the system. Um, so the volume really depends on the individual. I have some kids, an hour before an event, they can eat a full breakfast and they're rocking and rolling. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, well, that's fine. I mean, if that athlete can tolerate, you know, a full breakfast two hours before and they feel good and they've done that for a while, then we use that as a base. But if they don't, then we try to use what may work if they, they haven't had success in other areas. So there's never like a, this is the, you know, this is that one approach to use with every type of athlete. But so like, ideally having um, a good amount, I understand what you're saying that like, depending on the kid, like two, two of my kids hate to eat breakfast too early. And I'm always like trying to shove it down their throats thinking they're going to have no energy by the time we go on our three hour drive or two hour drive, get to the field, warm up. And you can't get anything in them. Um, ideally, you're saying two hours before having something, but would a big, would an actual meal be ideal, or is that too, too, yeah. um, too much two hours before? Well, yeah. If you're getting up and then you're in the car two or three hours traveling, then we want to b- probably get a full meal in if we can. It, again, we have to go based on if you can get that full meal in and whatever those calories are, depending on that athlete, then let's do that. We can make yeah. a lower volume option though. So. You know, yeah. you can make, let's say, 500 calories. I could make it a whole table of food or I could make it a fist worth of 500 yeah. calories. So it really just depends on going back to that athlete. It's can we get them enough calories in? And then what's the next what's the next three hour, four hours look like if you have a gap? Maybe it's a, a lighter breakfast in a, in, a, in a snack 30 minutes before, 45 minutes before. And maybe that snack's liquid and it's not solid or maybe it's a half a banana with peanut butter or peanut butter and honey sandwich uh, or, you know, it's just, again, there's so many different scenarios we can work on, but it is, all depends on that athlete. Is caffeine ever okay? I've been super tempted and probably have like had my coffee and been like, take a sip when my kid is sort of, you know, conked out next to me and we're getting ready to get to the game or the, to the practice field. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the most well-researched, we call them ergogenic aids or, I mean, it's not considered really a supplement, but it's, it's one of the most re- well-researched performance enhancers that's been used. So if it's a cup of coffee now, let's not use pre-workout supplements. I, that's a big problem I see in the supplement space when it comes to young athletes is they think, you know, they need some kind of caffeine booster in a powder 
there's a lot of risk, you know, that we talk about when we're doing our programs with the Taylor Hooten Foundation on what we need to be careful with on caffeine side, because energy drinks are a big no. Pre-workout supplements are a big no. But if it's a cup of coffee, that can enhance central energy, you know, mental uh, energy as well and focus. And it can be beneficial if the athlete is not sensitive to it. So a um, couple of things I want to follow up on, uh, Tavis. You, 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 talked, you started to talk a little bit about hydration and then supplements. So I want to make sure that we touch on both of those. I think those are two important things. Let's, let's talk about hydration first. So, um, you know, uh, you, the, the thing nowadays is, you know, I'm, kids are always carrying around these, these water bottles and always, I, th I think we've hammered in their heads, hydrate, 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 hydrate. So talk to, how important is hydration? How much should youth athletes be drinking? Uh, can you drink too much water? And then I want to talk a little bit about recovery after and talk a little bit about good sport as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, hydration is one of those nutrition components or topics we don't really probably address enough. And it's kind of one that can really fix a lot of problems. Typically, the first sign of fatigue is due to dehydration. And a starting point for how much you should be drinking is at least half your body weight in ounces. So if you're 100 pounds, 50 ounces, 200 pounds, 100 ounces, plus what you would lose with training or practice. So, you know, now down down the south here in New Orleans, it's hot. It's July. It's August. It's going to be brutal. You know, like most places, even in the Pacific Northwest, I saw they had like 116 degrees heat last week. So in those cases, you need more. You know, you need to look and see, am I losing weight? If I lost two or three pounds, typically for every pound of weight loss, you want at least two cups or 16 ounces of fluid. So we got to we got to start with at least half. And then with output, every hour of activity, I would say at least another, you know, 12 to 16 ounces of fluid would be important. Um, drinking too much. Absolutely. Especially if it doesn't have electrolytes, too much water. You know, if you're, you're you know, if you're 100, 100 pounds and you're drinking a gallon, that might be way too much that could lower your blood sodium levels and cause what's called hyponatremia. And that could be life-threatening. I mean, we don't see it that often. You see it more on the endurance athlete side, like the you know triathletes that are might be not drinking any electrolytes during an Ironman or a half Ironman. That's where we see those electrolyte disturbances. We don't typically see it in youth sports too much. Um, but yeah, too much can be bad You know, if, you, if you're going way above what your recommended needs are. So I have a kid who hates drinking water. So you, you said fluid. I, I caught you said fluid, not water. So um, I'm assuming if it's caffeinated, no, that doesn't count. But um, it, are, are, is, is it, can you count it as fluid if it's a non-caffeinated drink? And then what about the electrolytes? Um, and what about some of the sports drinks and the recovery drinks? Um, you know, how does that count? Yeah, they all count as fluid. I mean, it's all, you know, it doesn't have to just be plain water because if someone doesn't like water, then we have to figure out a way. What do we, how do we get that fluid in their system? Because it doesn't matter if it's water or not. Fluid is fluid as long as it's non-alcoholic. That's really a lot more worrying. And so obviously with youth athletes, we should hopefully don't have those issues. Hopefully um, not. But a cup of coffee, I wouldn't look, that's not dehydrating. If you're drinking maybe four or five and six cups and you're not drinking any fluid, that's going to have a diuretic effect and may cause a problem. But, you know, that, that's, again, a, probably a pretty rare case unless you got kids, you know, consuming a ton of energy drinks, which we do see from time to time. But any, you know, any type of beverage, whether it's a sports drink, whether it's milk, orange juice, water, a non-calorie based fluid, those are all going to count towards your fluid totals. So we can definitely look at that. Even something like an unsweet tea or even a sweet tea 
if somebody needs those calories. So how does that help an athlete? Yeah. I mean, recovery is a very important component just to help your body rebuild because when you're, whether you're lifting weights, whether you go to a practice for, let's say for 90 minutes to two hours, your body's doing a couple of things. It's number one, it's emptying the gas tank, right? It's like driving a car. You go put out a lot of energy and then what's called glycogen. It's when you eat carbs, it goes to the liver and the muscle. It's called your gas tank. It's called glycogen. It pulls from that, right? And that's to use. So your muscles have the ability to, to move until the point where you get no more glycogen, you're exhausted. So that's one thing recovery does is it repairs that gas tank. It refills the gas tank. Also with protein, when you're lifting weights, you're not building muscle, you're breaking it all down. It's mm -hmm. called protein breakdown. And when you consume calories after carbs and protein, that's increases what's called protein synthesis, the rebuilding of muscle tissue. And that's where your body repairs itself and rebuilds. So that's another component of recovery. And that's what I like about things like milk. It helps kind of kill two birds with one stone. You get the glycogen restoration. You get some protein restoration where it helps with muscle repair. When you said electrolytes, what does that do? Well, electrolytes have a lot of different functions from muscle contraction. And that's one thing, magnesium, sodium, calcium, potassium, all are focused on muscle contraction. So if we're depleted in those electrolytes, it could cause some muscle excitability, some cramping. You combine that with dehydration. You know, it could cause some problems. I mean, magnesium as well as potassium is very important for heart rhythm. So if you're completely deficient and you're only drinking water and your potassium's low, or even if it gets way too high, sometimes some of these drinks have way too much of certain things. We don't want that to go too high. That could cause a problem. So it's just trying to find that right balance and, and using it at the right time, particularly during and after workouts are going to be important when your bodies are losing those types of nutrients. So you mentioned the electrolytes. Um, can you drink too many electrolytes? You know, I, I, I see kids always sipping on sports drinks not good sport but i'm talking about other other sports drinks which shall, shall remain unnamed um you know prior to all day long drinking that instead of water or something else so what happens if you drink too many electrolytes and not enough just water well i've only seen really one company that has a a product that has weight, a lot of potassium. It's, it's potassium rich and low in sodium. Obviously I won't name names. You can kind of look at that. Once you find that product, we have to be cautious there that you're not drinking too many of those. We've seen some cases where blood potassium levels get above five. And really when, when it gets really high, like above 5.2, 5.3, that, that can be very dangerous. It can cause an abnormal heart rhythm, cardiac arrest. So we don't just want to be drinking these things all day, as your only source of fluid. Water is obviously great. Adding some electrolytes from sodium and potassium will be very important just to have a little bit of balance. There's no, there's no like perfect balance because it really depends on the body weight of the individual. There's so much that goes into that. And a 300 pound lineman is going to need obviously a lot more electrolytes and fluid than a hundred pound, you know, athlete. Um, but it's just really about balance. We can consume too much and we have to be careful. That's why it's important for these drinks to have at least you know, a lower dose, they don't need to be ex extremely high because we're adding salt to food or eating foods that have these same nutrients as well. You know, that was going to be my question. I think you sort of just answered it there. It's not, it's not necessarily a one size fit all, right? So there's, there's certainly foods um, and, and drinks that are healthy and that you want to focus on, but it, a female, female athlete versus a teenage athlete versus the kind of sport that you're doing 
it's all similar, but then it definitely, you need to know your own program and your own goals and your own body. Absolutely. Yeah. Every athlete, sports nutrition is sports nutrition. No matter what sport it is, the same principles apply. The only difference is going to be, let's say a swimmer, you know, most swimmers, especially in the, in the bulk of their season, they're swimming two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. So they're putting in four hours of high intense work versus maybe someone in the off season or in season, they might be only doing, you know, a, a two hour practice, different sport. So they, they just have different calorie needs and different timing needs, but the same principles of quality, right. nutrition, timing still apply. It's just helping them understand and show them, Hey, this is what you're, that's why when I look at, when I work with an athlete, I want to see what their training schedule is, their school schedule, their eating schedule. I look at all of that. Mm -hmm. And then I look for the deficiency and say, Oh, wow, you haven't eaten in six hours here between, you know, breakfast is 6 a.m., lunch is 12. We got to find a gap there. Or lunch at school is 12. You're not eating until seven o'clock at night. We got to fix that gap there because if not, your patterns are going to be all over the place. Uh, one thing, Dr. Sam, before we move on, if you were to say, if, you, if it was your own kid and you could only choose three foods and they were getting ready to have a game, and I know this is going exactly the opposite of what you're saying, like you got to eat a lot, but what would those three things be? I do want to know, like, all you can get are three things. What are you giving them before a game for energy, for focus? Is there, is there a way, is there, can, you, can you think of three? Yeah, I mean, I can probably think of three and we can, we can pick categories. I mean, protein, carbs, and fats, right? But, you know, it, it would be predominantly carbohydrates, you know, so whether that's, you know, and again, there's no magic food. So whether it's rice, pasta, bread, I would choose a car because, and I would probably pair that with a, with a fruit just where we can get so some wait, what, carb. what carb, what carb would that be? You got to choose. Okay. Um, if I had to choose, <laughs> you know, a, a starch carb, I'd probably go potato. Because it's the most filling. Okay. So I'd probably choose a, a baked or sweet potato. Um, okay. That's that's got a more satiety effect than the others. Um, from a from a protein standpoint, there's no magic. So, you know, I'd go chicken, fish, turkey. Again, it, it just depends. <laughs> okay. You know, there's again it's gonna it's gonna ha again, there's no like one that's better than the other. That's right. Again, that's, that's why, why you're I don't not like type of questions okay. because taste dictate. Okay. Yeah, I mean it really depends yeah. on that individual because right. You know, I've seen kids eat fast food before a game and they scored 40 points and it's like, wow, that shouldn't happen, right? <laughs> I know. So. And what, what was the third one? The third group was your, you said, so we have a protein, fat. we have our carbohydrate. So what's your fat? Well, and again, I'd probably keep the fat as low as possible. But if I had to choose something, I'd probably choose like a peanut butter or a nut butter and put it on bread or Again, if it had to be on the potato, then we might put a little cheese on there just to where we have a little bit of fat. And that cheese has some protein as well, just for sustainability. Okay. Um, but again, people might look at that and go, oh, you shouldn't have dairy. That depends on the athlete. You know, yeah. if, if okay. lactose intolerant, like, you know, Dr. Sam's family, have, yeah. don't do that. So dairy Got is it. not. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we have a, uh, and, and we have more questions for you, too. But I want to get to these uh, audience questions here. We had two pop in there. Uh, so the first one is from Sarah, and uh, it says, uh, how do you feel about protein powder supplements for kids to try to increase their daily protein intake? Yeah, a couple of things. It's fine. Um, it's protein. It comes from milk, so it's just it's a convenient way to get some calories. You know, my, my daughter's 10. She plays a couple of different sports, and we make a smoothie once or twice a week, especially if we're running late in the morning. 
I'll take a little bit of protein powder, um, some milk or almond milk, peanut butter, and then a frozen banana, throw a little spinach in there and we blend it up and we're out the door. So it really just depends on if you need it for convenience or, or they're not getting enough protein. That's a really convenient way to get that, especially maybe after a workout, if they need a lot of calories before bed, I'm having some athletes make smoothies mm. just because they need a lot of calories. And sometimes eating more food, you know, after dinner is not really um, that attractive, but they can do some liquid. Is there a certain type of protein powder that, you know, whey or, you know, there, there's all these different types. And, I, and, and so uh, if you're uneducated like me, <laughs> what, what recommendations do you have in terms of type of protein powder? Yeah, I mean, if we're getting specific to like really scientific and, hey, what works the best for muscle recovery, whey protein superior. That's what the research okay. tells us. At the same time, not everybody can tolerate whey, and that's fine because a lot of the plant-based proteins today really do a nice job of having a complete protein. They're using a couple of different types of whether that's beans, whether that's, you know, they use chia, hemp, um, pea protein. There's a lot of those plant-based that can still accomplish what you're trying to accomplish and you still have a quality. What's really important though, is you, you wanna make sure it's third-party tested. So if it's third-party tested and certified, that means like NSF, NSF is a third-party testing company. We work closely with them, with the Taylor Hooten Foundation. That means the product has been tested for prohibited substances. We see athletes testing positive for things like steroids, things like banned stimulants that would cause them to lose eligibility or not participate in Olympics. We sure. wanna make sure it's NSF for sports certified. So it's third-party tested. Great. And thanks for your question, Sarah. And then Elise had a question. Uh, when will your Eat to Win Sports Nutrition Program gain weight, build muscle, and improve athletic performance be available? Also, do you have a similar program for an athlete that needs to lose weight? Um, this might be a good chance for you to also talk to us about your Eat to Win Sports, Nutri Sports Nutrition Program and kind of what you do. Yeah, so... The Eat to Win, it's part of the company, My Sports Dietitian. And it's not its not an individual program. It is. But what we do now with that is we have a team of about 18 sports dietitians. And we're providing virtual sports nutrition services to high schools and colleges all across the country um, to where you know, we educate them. We have dietitians working with them in a one-on-one -on -one setting, a team talk setting, um, just because there's schools that just they can't afford a full-time person. So we're using technology. That's what the Eat to Win app is. It's a nutrition app that instead of having athletes track what they eat, like other apps where you have to log at, you're not going to get a 14 to 25-year-old kid to do that very often. Most of them won't. So what the, what the Eat to Win app does is it provides a customized plan. You don't have to think. It basically gives you your breakfast options, lunch, dinner, snacks, depending on how many meals you want to eat. Those programs I think she's referring to really are customized when we're working with teams. There are some options for people to to work in that environment. And if they reach out, one of our team members will reach out and kind of get them started on that. So we have options for weight gain, weight maintain and weight loss as well. But what we've done is we've done a series of 70 videos. Uh, each each video each week has a different theme. It might be about breakfast. It might be about um, snacks. It might be just about meal timing. And it, it, it just it's about a three to five minute video where we talk about a specific topic that day. So each day they get a new video, depending on what their goal is to try to help them change behavior. Um, and we're teaming up with a couple of different research institutes. We're going to be looking at eating patterns and behaviors of young athletes. Uh, my business partner has a great relationship with Pennington and Baton Rouge. 
Pennington Biomedical Research Center. So we're going to be looking at a lot of research over the next five years to study what influences what young athletes eat, how can we help them and use technology to improve those decisions. Great. So let's just talk about losing weight and gaining weight. You, you had alluded to, I think you said 70% of your clients are trying to gain some weight. And then uh, there may be some people that are trying to, to decrease uh, body fat and, you know, change their body comp. And this is a slippery slope as a psychologist, you know, this concerns me in terms of body image and body dysmorphia. And so what tips or what are the do's and don'ts in terms of gaining weight and losing weight? And, you know, what should parents be concerned about? With a young individual, not adult, just a young individual, you know, the weight loss is, like you said, it's a very slippery slope. Kids are going through hormone changes. Their body's changing in so much changing. And we don't want to put them in a, in a big old deficit. We don't want to restrict unless that athlete has a significant amount of weight to lose. So if they're 100 pounds overweight, we might want to look at just looking at ways to help them make better choices. Um, I tell everybody, you've been on a diet since birth. You never go on one. But that's and that's why 92 percent of people fail on diets. And that's, you know, people have tried so many diets, especially adults. It's because they weren't perfect on day two. They give up on day two because in their mind, they create this this life of, oh, this I wasn't perfect. So I should just start again on Monday when everything you eat is your diet. You never go on one and get off one. So with a young individual, it's really more about looking at what they're doing and how do we make it better? How do we eliminate some of the you know, the calorie dense foods that have no nutritional value. Are they drinking sodas? So if they are, let's say they're drinking two sodas a day. Uh, that's that's 300 empty calories they're consuming. How can we go to one? Are they eating fast food five days a week? How do we go to two days a week? How do we just shave off calories any place that we can replace them with something a little bit better without making them feel they're restricting, right? Because once you, once you make someone feel they're restricting or they have to, you know, most people think I got to starve myself and go on a thousand calories. Yeah. That's going to work quickly. You're going to gain it all back every single time because you're going to hurt your metabolic rate. and You're going to lose muscle tissue. So we have to be smart about it. Weight loss should always happen in a slow progression. If you need 3,000 calories to maintain, you should probably start at around 2,600, 2,500 to where you hit a, you lose, you hit a plateau, you drop a little bit more until, the, until it's manageable. Um, but we have to, again, it's with a young individual, Nine out of 10 times, it's it's the quality of food is why they, they, they're struggling to gain weight. They're eating a lot of sugary-based foods or high-fat foods and fast food meals, empty calories that are not providing any nutritional value. Um, on the opposite spectrum, they're typically doing way too much activity is why they can't gain weight. Um, I see kids that are doing four and five and six hour, hours of movement a day, or they think, oh, I got to get that extra. I, I weight lifted at school and I did conditioning for two hours. I got to go do it again for two more hours. And I'm like, no, or I got to go play pickup basketball with my buddies for two hours. And it's like, okay, you can do that. But keep in mind, you know, any more activity means you got to eat that. You got to get those calories back if, if your goal. So when I show them, I'm like, hey, you need 5,000 calories a day just to probably see a pound a week weight gain. They're like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of calories. So I tell a lot of the parents, look, your son or daughter is doing way too much. Mostly guys come to me with, with the weight gain. I really see females that want to want to gain weight. They mostly want performance, right? Most of them really want to change performance. Mm -hmm. I do see some, but I, I just have a heart to heart and say, look, something has to scale back. There's no reason for them to be three hours at school for a seven to 10 workout, go to a private trainer, go to a pitching coach, go to this person. It's like, when do they eat? 
Um, so in the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, to that point, you know, for busy parents, sometimes fast food is the only option or you have to do it quick. Is there, is there one, um, kind of fast food that might be lesser of the evils? I, I, I have one in my mind that I'm always sort of going with, but I was curious yeah. for if, if you have an answer for that. Yeah, we do one in our house. It's we it's it's called Chick-fil-A Friday. It's it's just a little tradition. Every Friday morning, my daughter and I do that before school or before camp. Um, and that's it. That's and I'm not again, I sound like the food police. The only reason I, I don't I don't allow any other fast food is because I read the book Fast Food Nation about 20 years ago. And uh, and I saw what they did to like where the food comes from. And I'm like, I'm yeah. never putting that again in my body, right? Again, not saying you can't, but you know, she'll get an egg white grill. I'll let her, you know, she'll have some hash browns and she'll get a lemonade or a diet lemonade and I'll get an egg white grill and we're on our way. Um, we don't do regular fast food just because I just, I don't see any benefit in doing that. And you can overcome that. If you're on the road for tournaments, why not pack food? Can you take the night before and make 10 mm -hmm. sandwiches and, and get trail mix and get fruit and nutrition bars and things that you don't have to rely on vending in fast food. But if you do, Every fast food restaurant has at least some couple of healthy options to where it's maybe it's grilled chicken. Maybe it's the grilled nuggets. Maybe instead of fries, you can get a salad or maybe have a hamburger without the fries and, and replace it with something a little bit healthier um, like a salad or, you know, Wendy's has baked potatoes. So there's ways to build healthy meals around it. It's yeah. just can we do that? Right. So there's probably healthy options wherever you go, um, as opposed to just saying this is the chain that you, yeah. that you should go to, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not saying don't go to those chains. Every every one of those chains have really decent options for you to choose to make healthier choices. And some not so great options too, right? Um, you, can all, okay. you can get all your calories in one day for one one value meal in some of those places. <laughs> yeah. Sure, 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 I know, I know. Uh, Boy, when they started putting calories up on the on the count and uh, on, on the on the menu or up on the board, then that changed my decisions for sure. So, um, okay, w one last question before we wrap up here, Tavis. Um, you know, similar to the sports psychology space, I find there's a lot of people who are so-called experts working in the field who may or may not have the appropriate training or credentials. Um, I find the same in the nutrition field. Um, so if you, if a parent is listening and they want to find a sports dietitian to work with their son or their daughter, what should they look for? How should they go about finding somebody? What are the, what are the appropriate credentials to look for? Yeah, it's, you know, this is, um, the whole nutrition space. It's, it's, a, there's a lot of influencers in this space, right? And, and it seems like the people that have the most followers, followers have the least experience. They just, you know, they have the physique, they have some good buzzwords, but they truly don't have the, the credibility and the, and the background to be doing what they're doing. And that, but we don't spend time chasing that. We just we only can do what we do and do best. Um, a couple of things we have to look for. Number one, you want to make sure they're a dietitian, right? The, we are the experts when it comes to nutrition education. We have four years of school, a year of an internship. But that doesn't really make you a sports dietitian. Really what makes you a sports dietitian for myself was getting that practical knowledge when I first started with Tulane Athletics in 2002 and just learning because we didn't have a lot of sports nutrition and understanding of what that was 20 years ago. Um, working with athletes, it's important for that individual to know what sports are and have played sports. Um, but also we have what's called the CSSD. It's, just, it's a board certification in sports dietetics. 
That's, you know, it started, I think, about 10 years ago. It's a new certification for individuals to be board certified. That means they have at least three years of experience and I think over 1,500 hours working with athletes. So that's an important credential, you know, for those that are just entering this field and working with teams. But also, you know, you want to make sure, no offense to other dietitians, you want to make sure that dietitian is not just someone who's worked in a hospital and has not had any experience with sports because, you know, you don't want to put me working in a hospital as a dietitian because I have no clue what I'm doing. I know sports nutrition. I don't know the clinical side of things like, you know, like we're all trained because it's I've been 20 years removed from that. So having sports, having sports experience and working with athletes is very, very important. You know, Great. before Thank we say goodbye, you. Tavis, sorry, Sam, I just wanted to ask, you know, um, how much do you talk about or is your work involved with the healing powers of food? Like we're talking about, obviously, recovery for athletes. But what about for the moms and dads that might watch this and, you know, who are sick or ill or have had cancer? Like, can you just sort of, I know it's a huge topic, and I'm not trying to go in deep into it, just sort of talk about the healing power of food? Yeah, I mean, well, if we look at whether it's an injury or an illness, you know, foods we eat have a couple of different properties. They, they can be anti-inflammatory. They can also boost the immune system. You know, when we looked at COVID, for example, vitamin D, zinc, selenium, turmeric or curcumin all had certain benefits, whether they were antiviral or pro-respiratory. Um, from the healing process, when we look at athletes, I'm a big fan of certain nutrients for inflammation. Just about every college and professional team uses tart cherry juice. I'm a huge believer in omega-3. You know, omega-3 fish oil, salmon, or just fish oil supplements are part of every athlete I work with's program. And that's a whole other topic on the quality of that because you don't want to go buy 98% of the fish oil in the market. It's not very good. Um, but that's part of everything. If you get your omega-3 index scores above 8%, you're probably not going to have much inflammation, good cardiovascular health. But also, we're using omega-3 to treat concussions today uh, because 60% of your brain is fat. 25% of your brain is DHA, and we see less inflammation in the brain when we do so. So there's certain things that really make sense from the fruit and vegetable side. You know, a lot of our fruits have anti-inflammatory properties, vegetables as well. Um, you know, they, they have healing properties in the fact that it can boost our immune system and help our body recover faster. Awesome. That's great. I, I love how, you know, if you're a regular listener to our to our podcast, uh, I love Tavis how you know, uh, unintentionally probably, but you, you connected our, uh, we, we had a concussion expert on, we had a sleep expert on where we did mention tart cherry <laughs> juice. Uh, yeah. We had Adam Beard from the Chicago Cubs talking about high performance uh, on, on one of our last episodes. And so, um, we're, yes, we're, we're, yeah, we're hearing a lot of the same uh, messages, which, which is good for our listeners. So it's consistent messaging. So want to absolutely thank you for uh, taking the time and for our listeners for uh, weathering our our challenges and and sorry for the late start and especially to our sponsor good sport who yeah. uh you know who has um provided us with with a with some great opportunities to to share information with you and and thanks thanks for their support um and definitely please try good sport out um you can buy it on amazon um there are four flavors uh as of now i saw um you have the orange it looks like there uh, Asia, it, is that right? The I, citrus? Citrus. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And so uh, I think I saw berry, uh, fruit punch, citrus, and lemon lime are the, are the four that are out there. So please check it out. And then for, for those of you who are viewing or listening, um, you can reach, you can connect with Tavis on uh, Twitter at Tavis Piatoli. That's T-A-V-I-S-P-I-A-T-T-O-L-Y. And also on Instagram via the same uh, handle at Tavis Piatoli. Um, and then uh, his website we mentioned earlier uh, was uh, um, mysportsd.com. And then he does have the e to win app as well. Uh, thank you so much, Tavis. I, I jotted down a bunch of notes. And as we always tell our guests, uh, that's, that's at least our barometer for, for how informative yeah. it was. And when we have pages of notes, then we at least feel like, all right, great. This, this was really helpful. And, and I'm making my kids wa- listen to this uh, uh, watch Same. this replay tonight as soon as they get home from their sports camp. So, so thank you so much. Thank you, Tavis. That was terrific. Thank you both. Thank it's you been an honor much. to be here. Honor. Thank you so much for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to, uh, to be on your show.